There we go. Uh, also, now is the time. If you are in Kidtown, you can head on back to your classrooms. Have fun, everybody. Okay. Morning, all. How's it going? Good. My name is Jeremy, uh, the assistant pastor around here, uh, slash pastor somewhere in the middle of that. That's sort of what we're in the middle of doing right now. Uh, so let's kick this thing off. Um, we got a full Sunday, so I want to give the word it's due and not do a whole lot of other uh, talking right now. So if, if you ever heard of uh, the idea of the window of tolerance. My counselor introduced this to me about a year ago when we started meeting together regularly. And it, it takes the idea of, you, you've heard of fight or flight. These are kind of the two typical ways that we go about handling stressful situations. It then adds a third one, which is my current favorite, freeze. So fight, flight, or freeze. And the idea is there's this healthy window that exists in between fight and flight up here and freeze down here. And this is sort of the healthy window with which we can live and operate and think clearly and make decisions uh, that are not based on stress, that are not based on reaction, but that are based on faith and hope and love. So the question this morning uh, to start off with is where, where do you naturally go though? Like before we talk about the healthy stuff, Let's talk about where you just naturally go in those moments. Do you go to fight? Where when stress comes, you get aggressive, you take it head on, you get mad, you grit your teeth and grip your fingers and white knuckle whatever the situation is. Maybe it's more of a flight where you avoid whatever's stressing you, uh, you distance yourself, you cope, you run away, you pretend like it doesn't exist. Or maybe, like my current favorite, you freeze. You go numb. You can't really feel, your thinking gets cloudy, you can't focus. Some of the best arguments in my family's life happen between the hours of 7.30 and 10 on Sunday morning. How about you? Whatever it is that you're bringing in, whatever even stressful situation you bring in this morning, the question is, how do we live in such a way that faith, hope, and love become more and more what we live and move and make decisions by and less and less based out of stressful reaction. What we're going to see today is two guys who are in a stressful situation who handle it swimmingly. And the question as we read from Acts 4 is what helps them do that? How are they able to experience this conflict and this pressing and this stress from all sides and maintain a clear head and clear speech and clear decision-making through the entire thing? Because the disciples today are getting pressed. They've just healed a guy, if you've been with us the past couple of weeks, they just healed a guy in Acts 3. Everyone's amazed. 3,000 people came to faith before. Now it's more like 5,000. Jerusalem is in an uproar. Everybody's amazed. But the Jewish establishment was not happy. 
They did not appreciate what was happening right now. And so they get up in the grill of Peter and John, the two primary preachers in this movement that God's doing in Jerusalem. Notice their poise as we read. So, uh, Kat, would you be so kind as to come up and read our scripture today? Morning. Okay, 31 verses. It's good, though. (laughs) Acts 4, 1 through 31. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem, and Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, By what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated, common men, and they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. 
And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with, the, with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to Kat for making it through that whole thing. Good work. So we don't have to look very hard to find stressful things, especially if, as we reflect in this service, particularly on the past number of years as a congregation, COVID, racial tension, political upheaval, moral revolution, not to mention just the everyday stuff that it takes to get from one side of the day to the other. There's plenty to find stress about. There's plenty even today that you may be feeling weight on your chest about. Our church has been through it. COVID shut us down. Then we did baseball church. Who was at baseball church? Yeah, yeah come on, baseball church. I actually missed that, but I'm kind of sad I did. Um, there has been many moving parts and pieces for all of us over the last number of years. And let's be real, we, we haven't always necessarily handled it all that well. We have not had the poise of Peter and John here as we have been pressed on all sides many times. As jobs have been all over the place and family has been stuck at home and a whole number of illness and difficulty has plagued us from every side, we have not always met that with faithfulness and hope. But today is really about celebration. And it's about celebration looking backwards at what the Lord has done to give us courage for what he will do in the future. And particularly, that's the same dynamic that we find in Acts 4 today. Peter and John are calling back on things that have happened to them previously, some of which we'll talk about today, for the sake of courage for what they're facing even right now. So those are going to be our two points, and we're going to jump right in. God's past faithfulness and our future hope. Peter and John here, they've brought out the worst in everybody. Everybody, except for the ones who were actually believing this, everybody hated them, and they had plenty of reason to hate them. The priests, it says the priests, the captains of the temple, and the Sadducees. The priests were the religious class. They were the workers for God. They were the ones who were speaking for God, or at least who they thought God to be. The captains of the temple, this was, this was like the muscle this was the law enforcement. This was the keeper of the social order, the keepers of the status quo. And the Sadducees were this sort of political, ideological uh, class, and their sensibility was offended particularly by the fact that Christianity claimed that there is a resurrection from the dead. How dare you? Nothing in our scriptures say anything about that. And they had built an entire political structure and a life and a worldview based on there can be no resurrection. And here you are challenging that. How dare you? And so from every side, politically, socially, religiously, they are being challenged. But isn't that what Christianity does? Christianity challenges the worldly norms because there is a heavenly kingdom that is invading the earthly one right now. Challenging all those kinds of structures and not just doing that outwardly, but doing that inwardly in us as well. The great, the, the most comforting thing about this entire passage is not to just point at Peter and John and go, man, 
they sure are poised and they sure do tell people about Jesus with a lot of confidence. Go do the same thing, everybody. That's a very tempting way to preach this passage. But if we zoom out and zoom back, what we realize is that Peter got this wrong before he got this right. Praise the Lord that that's true for you and me. Because he had been in this situation before, hadn't he? He had been in a very similar, maybe with even some of the same people, he had been approached on the night that Jesus was betrayed. When all the religious and law came with their pitchforks and their torches ready to arrest Jesus. And how does Peter handle himself in that moment? Does he handle himself with poise and grace? No way. He takes out his sword and chops the guy's ear off. Kids, that actually happened. Isn't that crazy? Ew. It's a good thing he wasn't like two inches to the left. That would have been way worse. And in that moment, his impulsivity, which you see in him consistently, comes out. He immediately reacts in fight, fight mode. There he goes. And then right after that, where do you see? He goes, he tells Jesus time after time, Jesus, I'll do anything for you. I'll even die for you. I'll follow you to the end of the earth. And Jesus goes, no, you won't. You say you will. You talk a big game. But when the rubber meets the road, you really won't. And sure enough, he goes from fight to flight. And he gets out of there. When things get hairy, when Jesus gets arrested, when his whole worldview blows up, he doesn't know which way's up, he blows it. And he runs away. Fight, flight. What is all of this doing inside of him? It's, he has this worldview, the norm that is being challenged in his life at this point is he continues to believe throughout the ministry of Jesus when he is alive, pre-resurrection, when he's walking with him daily. Jesus continually presses him on this issue. Peter, do you believe that might is right? Do you believe that the way you get through this life is by the sweat of your brow? Do you believe that you can just muscle and white knuckle your way through this whole thing? Do you believe that that's what I came to do? And it took a moment of failure. In fact, it took moments of failure. He didn't get it the first time Jesus said it. He didn't get it the second time Jesus said it. It was one of those things that that truth had to sit on top of his heart until his heart broke. The truth does the same thing for us today. And it is in our worst moments, not our best, when the truth and the compassion and the grace of Jesus begins to fall into all those little nooks and crannies. That's where he meets us. That's where this kind of confidence for Peter is coming out. That's what is coming out of him is the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is now giving him that same kind of confidence, that same kind of resurrection hope. The question to us is, what is he challenging in us even today? What is he challenging in you right now? I'll give you a for instance. As people have asked me over the, the last month or so, how are you feeling about this leadership transition with you and Dave? The, the word that keeps coming to my mind is thankful. There's a, there's a time in my life in ministry where I would have said that and like sort of believed it. And it would have been a little more of a platitude, like just something that, you know, nice Christian people say. At this point in my story, God has brought me and my family to a point where we have recognized that it is not by our might, not by our will, 
that anything good happens in our life. And it is not by our might and not by our will that we avoid anything bad in our life. It is only by his sovereign hand, both sides of the story. The same is true for you. What closing a church in my previous ministry experience did is it proved that I can work as hard as I want and it may still not work. My might is not all right. It is not the only part of the equation. I can't just believe it and achieve it. I can't wish upon a falling star and all my dreams will come true, to quote the new Pinocchio. But to be in a, a church situation now that just feels like we're kind of, it was described this morning as like a freight train that's already rolling and we're just like trying to run to keep up. Like the freight train of the Lord is doing something here and we're just trying to run along behind him, trying to follow and be faithful as he's plowing this new path for us. We don't know what he's gonna do, but we're gonna do our best to keep running alongside him, keeping in step with his spirit. And that's the exciting thing. And that's where a sense of ease and thankfulness can begin to come over me instead of this like, yeah, like I'm gonna take the next hill and we're gonna go do this thing together and I'm gonna lead well. I'm probably not gonna lead well. I'm gonna disappoint every one of you. And that's okay because Jesus will never disappoint you. And we'll keep pointing to him the whole way through. Okay, how about you? What worldly norms might God be challenging in your life? And a way to ferret that out might be likely where are the places where God is pressing you in trying circumstances right now? What has God sovereignly placed in your life as this prayer by Peter and John reflect that you have sovereignly predestined to take place? What has he sovereignly put in your life right now as a severe mercy maybe, somebody that you would not choose, but somebody that he has chosen for you? What could he be doing in that? What could he be doing in that failure? What could he be doing in that illness? What could he be doing in that challenge at work? What could he be doing relationally? Be curious because God is faithful and he's shown himself to be in the past so he will continue to be in the future. Because there is one central truth that Jesus wants every one of us to know this morning and it's in verse 12. There is salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And he's not just talking about the, the one-time salvation of I believed in Jesus and I get to go to heaven when I die. He's saying every part of you needs to be saved. Your mind, your will, your body, your decision-making, every part of you needs to be saved, needs to be conformed more to the image of Jesus and less to the image of Jeremy. And he's saying there is no other way Money can't do it, power can't do it, fame can't do it, control can't do it, doing good can't do it. Only Jesus can save. And only Jesus will continue to save in all of those little places where you need to look more like him and less like you. What are the first words that Peter hears after his denial? You know? Jesus comes to him after his resurrection. He meets him on the beach. What are his first words to him? Peace. Peace. We're good. I just did the hard thing for you because you can't do the hard thing for me. 
you just failed in your worst moment of pressing. I just succeeded. I was victorious over even the loss of my own life. I experienced the ultimate stress of, dis, of separation from my heavenly father, of the loss of the most beautiful relationship in the whole world and being plunged into death. I experienced that because when you experience those stresses in your life, you're gonna go to fight, you're gonna go to flight, you're gonna go to freeze. And Jesus went to faith. And then in that same power, that resurrection power, he now, that spirit that gave him the faith to walk in with grace and poise now gives us the same. We can walk with grace and poise into whatever it is that he has in front of us, sovereignly put, even the things that we hate the most about ourselves and about our circumstances, because he's good. And he's proven himself to be, so he will continue to be. Queen Elizabeth II, uh, as you are probably aware of, died a few days ago. She was 96 years old. She had lived through six major wars and disputes in her lifetime. World War II, the Suez Crisis, the North Ireland Conflict, the Falklands Wars, the war in Afghanistan, and most recently, the conflict between Russia and Ukraine. And this is what she says. She says, the wartime generation, reflecting on herself, my generation, is resilient. Our past does impact our future. What has happened to us will be what happens through us as well. And what can happen is our past trauma, that window of tolerance can get shrunk, where more and more we are easily triggered, where we jump to fight or flight, where we jump to freeze, where we jump to unhealthy coping instead of healthily living by faith, hope, and love. How do we begin to regulate more and more where we go in those moments? How do we open that window of tolerance so that the glory of Jesus can be the, the decision-making matrix we live through? Look at verse 23 and 24. When they were released, when they were pressed, they went to their friends and reported to the chief priests and elders what they had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices to God. They didn't all huddle together and go, can you believe what those Sadducees said? Can you believe what those guys did? They said they, were, they threw us in jail overnight. We didn't even have anything to eat. What are we gonna do in the future? I don't even know. They stopped and they recognized that the same God who had brought them up to that point, the same God who had met Peter in his worst moment of failure would now meet him as he was pressed to continue to carry on the calling on his life. And he does the same thing for you. And so here's, here's the idea that we're going to spend the rest of the service doing this morning. And Dave has said this before. We're walking backwards into the future. And we're walking backwards not only considering all the great things that God has done when we've been great. Predominantly, we're looking backwards at all the great things that God has done when we have totally blown it. Because the real way to tell if God is faithful is not if he's faithful when you're faithful. Because that would make sense. That's just standard morality. That's karma. That's whatever you want to call it. I'm not going to run into this, I promise. <laughs> but we're walking backwards, looking at this is all the places we have absolutely blown it. And we have seen God be faithful again and again and again. We've seen him, his resurrection power fill us with grace when we have nothing to give in and of ourselves. We've seen him work through difficult circumstances in, in our past. 
We've seen him heal broken relationships. We've seen him heal our own hearts. And if he's done that before, when I've totally messed it up, I can walk this way knowing I'm going to keep messing it up and he's going to keep being faithful. That's the movement of this service. That's the movement of every service at Midtown Grief Hall and any gospel preaching, gospel-believing church. We're walking backwards, looking at God's faithfulness in the past, in our moments, in our worst moments, so that we can continue to carry on this mission of gospel transformation. Because he's good back then, he will continue to be. Father, thank you for your goodness to us in Christ. We don't deserve it. Uh, We for sure have not earned it. Uh, We have not earned your faithfulness to us as a congregation. We have not earned your faithfulness in our own lives. We have not earned the cars that we drive or the children that we have or the life that we lead or the job that we take. Everything is grace. All is grace. Thank you for showering it on us in Christ. I pray for my friends uh, that we collectively would drink deeper and deeper of that and less and less of our own effort and will. With open hands, we walk forward into an unknown future that is secure in you. We pray hopefully in Jesus' name.